I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. So we're going to take a little oath here. Ready? Repeat after me. I, Meredith Goldstein. I, Meredith Goldstein. Will not use my expertise as an advice columnist. Will not use my expertise as an advice columnist. To avoid being vulnerable. To avoid being vulnerable. And getting into shit. And getting into shit. Good job. Let's do do this, I'll do my best. (laughs) (laughs) From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I am not Meredith Goldstein. That's right, baby. I'm back. It's me, Brett the other Goldstein. And this time, I'm sitting in the host seat for a very important reason. Today, we bring you every journalist's worst nightmare. This time, we're going to tell Meredith's story. And for those of you who have read her memoir, or if you're a dedicated love letter sleuth, you'll know that my sister hasn't always been the bold dater she likes to encourage many of you to be. But the last year has been a hot mess. The pandemic had a lot of us not only wondering why the hell we spent our life savings on a 400-foot studio apartment or why we ever resisted pants-free living, but also it had us questioning what we truly want, what we deserve, where we most want to put our energy. Meredith is no different. Today, it's the final new beginning of the season. It's a story about getting off your ass, opening your portal. Oh, please get your mind out of the gutter. It'll all make sense in a minute, trust me. And saying yes when it feels right. It's about how pushing yourself out of your comfort zone in life and in romance can actually lead to a whole lot of growth. My name is Meredith Goldstein. I am the host of the Love Letters podcast most of the time. Do I have to identify you as Meredith Goldstein? Like, do I have to use your full name? No, like I'm just, I can just, I'm Mer- I'm fucking with you. Okay. okay. Okay, fine. Okay, Meredith, pre-pandemic, your dating life in three words, go. Not applicable, really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't 
think I intended on becoming monumentally single. When I was younger, in my 20s and early 30s, I had a lot of friends who really knew what they wanted. And they wanted to get married or they wanted to partner in some way. And a lot of them wanted kids. And because I knew that wasn't the case for me, it never felt urgent. Like I was like, oh, I want to get everybody taken care of. And then I'll then I'll see. And I wasn't lonely in a romantic sense. Like I, I just, it's not something I thought about. I had like a great community of people and I never felt like something was missing. So I think when you don't feel like something's missing, especially by my mid-30s, there's no drive to be like, oh, I really want to do this. And, you know, our mom was sick and she died and I, I'm very bad at multitasking, right? So I would be like, well, I can't really date right now because mom's sick or I can't really date because my mom died or like I can't really date because I'm working on a book or, I, you know, any, I'm taking out the garbage, can't possibly date. I remember going into the Boston public market with you and you being like, oh, that guy's looking at you. And my being like, what guy? I don't even see a guy. Like, I just wasn't looking at humans in that way. So it became this sort of rom-com, like dreadful, ironic character thing of like, oh, she's the advice columnist who just doesn't date. I'll say that I had a bunch of blind dates. We have an episode about how I recommend people setting each other up. And I do. And that's why anytime somebody had somebody to set me up with, I would go. I never said no. Was I truly open to the experience? I don't know. You would also call me before any of these dates and kind of go into like an epic monologue about the reasons why it wouldn't work, usually, before you even met the person. Like you totally. already had the reasons lined up. Well, I don't think I wanted it to work, right? Like I just couldn't imagine space. By that point, I was at the age where people were really partnered and they have to consider each other and they have to see each other's families. Like there's all these things that did not look appealing. Why would I screw with the recipe of success of my perfect life where I can like, you know, fart through my house and like eat whatever I want and not and and have my friends over whenever I wanted. It, I think sometimes it takes like an absence of something, a feeling of absence of something to pursue anything. Now, I want to be the first to say that no one should feel like they have to date. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. You do you, honey. Go on wild single vacations, never leave your house, do whatever you want. Not everyone feels an absence of the sort we're talking about here. But the thing about absence is, by nature, it can be tough to identify. How do you start to wrap your head around something that you aren't even sure exists? It's something that takes time. And in 2020, time is a thing that many of us, who are fortunate enough to stay healthy anyway, had in spades. So the pandemic was weird. Let that be the understatement of the century. It was horrible for all these obvious reasons. And I think there were some of us, both of us included, who felt a lot of guilt because there were certain parts for us of life that got easier. You know, people say when you have a loss, you feel like you're floating, which sounds weirdly positive. It's not necessarily positive, but it's just like, oh, the horrible thing I worried would happen one day has happened. So I guess I just wake up and I eat a food and I go to bed, right? I'd be like, oh, we're in a global pandemic. People are dying. Outside is scary. That's all real. So now my day is I have one job, well, a few jobs, which is to not get sick, to not get anybody else sick, and to try to keep my actual job, 
Whereas weeks prior, I was dreadfully overbooked socially and professionally, and it was my own doing. I said yes to too many friends. I just said yes to too many things. So for the first time in many years, I would do my work for the length of a work day, and then I, there was like nothing to do. And for some people, that was devastating and isolating and scary. And for me, my anxiety went down significantly. And I felt horrible about that, again, because there were so many reasons to be anxious about the state of the world. But in terms of my actual personal life and brain, I got to stay in and sit down without feeling guilty. Like, I got to be an introvert for a good cause. Like, by just sitting at home and shutting the fuck up, I was doing the right thing to not get other people sick. And if I could compartmentalize the guilt of that, it was something to notice that I became very different, a, a version of myself that I liked a lot more. And one of the things that I truly had begun to dislike about myself was that in all of my overbooking, I was constantly thinking about what I had to do next. For the first time, I felt like present. I would have like a Zoom with a family member and I'd feel present. And I think that's why when I had a friend who was contemplating going back online to date, a friend who was sort of wondering if they should experience new singledom online, and I was advocating for it, this friend looked at me and said, you hypocrite, you've never even been on an app. Like all you do is tell people to go on apps all day for your day job and you've never done it. Meredith's friend was calling her out on her hypocritical bullshit. She'd been an advice columnist for more than a decade, telling everyone to experiment on apps, telling people not to feel weird about it. She even swiped for other people. But she'd never really given it a go for herself. From college, up until her 30s, up until her mom got sick, Meredith had had relationships on and off. I liked some of the guys, others not so much. But there were always guys she met through work or through friends, like with the blind dates. Often she knew them for a while before dating them. Slow burns. Online was a no-go. Too scary, too messy, just too much. With the pandemic, though, she had all this newfound time. Time free of work and writing and entertaining. I mean, every minute of her freaking calendar used to be filled. A whole lot of time to sit with her own ideas and admit, just maybe, her friend had a point. I was like, okay, I can do this. This is a dare I would not have said yes to before 2020. For a number of reasons. My brain wouldn't have been able to go there. And also, it felt lower stakes in a pandemic because I was like, no one's no one's meeting up. Like, I'm not going to meet anyone Walk us through setting up your profile. Like, what, what did it look like? How did it feel to make it? Talk us through that. Oh, it felt like shit to make it. Because it always feels like shit to make it, I think. I, I don't know anybody who loves making a dating profile. I mean, Hinge as a platform, you know, gives you these prompts, right? Like, it'll be like, one of the prompts that I despise, but is so revealing, is I'm overly competitive about... And I say I despise it because I'm overly competitive about nothing. I'm overly competitive about nothing. And so many people would write everything. And then I'm like, okay, go find somebody to race then. 
and I picked photos that I thought were not like my globe photo. You know, they were very candid. Then one photo I used was just of an entire shelf I have of Sweet Valley High books because I own the entire collection of Sweet Valley High. And I was like, this is, we'll see how this goes, right? On top of all the normal anxieties that come with online dating, Meredith has this additional weight that's rooted in being kind of a thing in Boston. Between the podcast, the book events, the column, happenings for the Globe, she's worried about being recognized as Meredith Goldstein relationship expert. Especially in a world that, let's face it, is often terrible to women. And, at times, even worse to women who make their living sharing ideas on the internet. If you put yourself on an app, anybody can see you. And Boston is like the biggest small town. I'm constantly getting screenshots from friends of people that we know. Oh, look at this person. They're on Tinder or whatever. And, the, and, and there's nothing embarrassing about that. It's just like, this is my day job. Like, no one should see me on an app like that. Which, by the way, sounds like extreme narcissism. I thought I chose pictures that were very vague. Like, they looked like me, but they were not anything related to something you could reverse search as a globe event, if that makes sense. I also put my name on there as just Mayor, M-E-R-E. And where it said occupation, I just put writer. Like, I clearly didn't say writer, the Boston Globe. You know, it was pretty basic. But, of course, when I first made it, I was like, I'm doing this to appease my friends. And I'm doing this as sort of like a fun, it felt like um, trust falls. Like, like it felt like making a small bet at a casino, the smallest bet. Like it felt like walking over one hot coal. And one of the, the two people who I started out doing this with, my friend Rory was like, go, basically. And I did it. So Meredith, never had a dating profile Goldstein, is now on Hinge. Which, by the way, I didn't even know. We'll get back to that later. But for someone who has put almost no effort into dating over the last few years, this feels like a lot for her. She makes a deal with her friends that will let her ease into the swiping pool on her own terms. She keeps her profile deactivated, fully invisible, to anyone who might swipe on her for most of the day. She agrees to activate it for a one-minute singles temperature check once a day. My friend, he called it opening the portal. He would say to me, Meredith, open the portal. And then I would eventually close the portal. And let me be clear, we didn't mean just going on the app. We meant unpausing it. So it was literally only unpaused for one minute that first time. And by the way, when I would unpause it, but open the portal, I really wasn't swiping. I would just let it sit there. It was like a corpse flower, right? Like a door that only opened one minute a day. And the first minute it was open, that very first time, I realized that this meant more than I knew because I sweat through my clothing. And I was very physically upset. When you have that sort of physical reaction, that sort of meltdown, panic attack sort of feeling about something, it means it wasn't just that I casually wasn't doing it. It meant that I was afraid to do it. 
it's so hypocritical that I've said to so many letter writers and friends and podcast listeners, like, of course you should go on these apps, right? Who cares if somebody from your work sees you or whatever? But there was something about it that I think is age and other stuff and also geography that made me feel like I felt exposed. I felt like I was like, you know, in one of those dreams where you're like naked. And I needed to physically sweat through that to get that out of my system. Meredith Goldstein's existential crisis continues after a short break. Okay, we're back. The promise I made to myself was, if I'm on the fence, or if, like, I find them good-looking, like, why wouldn't I? But this took a few weeks, right? To go from, I'm sweating through my clothing at minute one, when the portal is open, you know, it's like it takes a week and a half, and then you're like, oh, well, maybe I want to walk on a second hot coal. Maybe I want to like this guy back, and then see what he has to say. Meredith taking the time to engage, to let a match in at all is a huge step. But that fear she has, the fear of being recognized, the fear of what that could mean, that hasn't gone away. Occasionally, that would lead to the back and forth that happens on so many apps, which is like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? And by the way, it's a pandemic. So every, so I feel like people were more empathetic than normal. How are you faring? How are you are you okay, right? Like, oh, do you have a job where you have to go into work? Like, the, the questions were different than I imagine they normally are. And often it goes nowhere. What was a concern was that after sort of being like, ah, oh, don't be a narcissist, no one knows who you are, I got a significant number of messages that were like, love your column. I actually went from being like, oh my God, these I know who you are comments, which I think 99% of them are meant to be validating. And uh, I love your column is meant to be like, I love your column. It was hard for me as a woman on the internet not to take it as dot, 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 I'm going to dox you and stalk you. And actually, I'm looking to troll you. I'm going to catfish you. I'm going to like, I went to all these bad corners, which for good reason, those are real things that happen. And I think people didn't think about the fact that saying to somebody who clearly has not put out who they are, I know who you are. I already know who you are could be menacing. Unintentionally so, but I, I was very, I was scared. I mean, it almost scared me off ever, ever opening the portal. also begins to realize that even as the dating experience is scary for her, it can be scary for the guys on the other end, too. They might be mentioning her column because they're looking for an opening. After all, even dating app men, the ones holding those trophy fish, they need a place to start, too. Despite only opening the portal for quick periodic checks, Meredith starts to chat with some of the guys she sees on the app. This is where the pandemic actually plays to her strengths. In not being able to meet up in person, she finds opportunities to move slower and take courtship on her own terms. For my sister, that means some good old-fashioned sweatpants-from-the-bottom-down Zoom dating. 
one guy, guy number one, we'll call him, nice professional dude. I don't want to say too much. Nice guy. And seemed to be taking COVID as seriously as I was. Like, he was basically like, hi, you seem great. We're never meeting. I was like, totally, we're never meeting. And I think I said, do you want to Zoom? Like, I think I wanted to try it. And he seemed to fully not understand what I did for a living, which seemed important to me. And I think I just wanted to see what it would be like. And I loved the idea that with a Zoom, and instead of being like, how am I going to Uber home? And at what time? And, and who's going to pay for it? I was just like, oh, I could just literally, if he sucks, I'll just close the laptop and throw my laptop on. The, like, it's the easiest out ever. Pajama pants. So we have this Zoom, me and this guy, and it was lovely. But here's the thing about me. My job is interviewing people. So I'm going to be good at that, right? Like part of being a journalist, I think, is making somebody comfortable when they don't know you and making them want to tell you stories. So I think what I first learned from that first conversation was, oh, like this having gone very well, this is going to be confusing because it doesn't equal chemistry. What it means is that like it's hard to know if I'm doing a job or bonding with someone. So we texted a little bit. At some point, it became clear, like, let's take a walk. So this was the fall. I met him, and we took a walk. And it was fine. One would not say there was chemistry there. It was just, like, two nice people who could absolutely carry on a conversation. But that's where it ended. But it gave me the confidence that someone could... A, not do a murder, B, not be weird about the column, like C, have a story to tell, ask me questions. Like I did it. I walked on another hot coal. Still, by the way, no goal. Like I wasn't like, oh no, now I don't have a new boyfriend. I was just like, oh, I did a thing that other people have been doing for years and I've been advising them on doing it. And now I did it. Sort of an interesting thing happened as I was walking away from the date, which was at the end of the date, was like, oh, I'll walk you to your car. And the nice thing is all the things I'm bad at, a hug, a goodbye kiss, nothing was on the table. We weren't even going to high five. So I was like, this is like the best exit I'm ever going to have. Except he very kindly said, hey, by the way, after we set this up and after we had our first Zoom, I Googled you and you really are like a writer. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he suddenly got it. And he said, this might be weird, but... I ordered your book from Amazon and it arrived this morning. So I brought it for you to sign, which turned out to be my memoir. So, okay, I, I know how this sounds. I am very grateful and felt very validated that he was like, oh, I'm interested. I'm going to spend $28 on your hardcover book. Like, I should just shut up. But it also felt very weird. Like, so he takes the Amazon box out of the car and was like, will you sign it? And I was like, okay. And I signed the book and then he left. Like it was fine. But there was something about now this guy's walking away with a memoir I wrote in which there is a chapter about all the sex I'm not having. It's very personal stuff in there, right? Which was a thing I had not thought of ends in 2014. Like, I, you know, for all you know, I'm totally different now, right? But it was like, there was something about signing my own book on a date that like was a beyond boner killer. And that's not his fault. 
who would have known? But I was like, bye. So guy number one isn't the one. He seems like a great guy, just not the one for mayor. But something huge has happened. She's gone on a date with a stranger from the internet. And it wasn't disastrous. She realizes she can do this. And perhaps even more importantly, she realizes a date doesn't have to lead to something more for it to be a worthwhile experience. It gives her the confidence to keep going. Who was next? There was a guy who I matched with where I was like, oh, okay. Like, this guy looks like he could be like a TV doctor. Like, jawline and cheekbones of like someone you would cast in a commercial for, oh, I don't know, a watch. Living his best life. I could picture him on a sailboat. Maybe, maybe one of the pictures even was on a sailboat. I can't remember. We went back and forth about TV because what else do you talk about? And... Then actually, you know what? I think he asked if I wanted to have a drink. And I was like, oh my God, this guy wants to have a drink in person. COVID, like I was like, no, right? So I was like, you know, I said, it's kind of cold. I'm really busy. What if we just had like a FaceTime? He called and he was very good looking. I mean, honestly, I can't shut up about that. Good for him. Like a good looking, smart person. It felt like we were both on a very good job interview And I think after like 30 minutes, I was like, this probably needs to end. And I think it ended probably at 40. And we didn't reach out to each other after that. So here I am telling you all about the highs and lows of Meredith's dating experiment. But at the time, I didn't even actually know it was happening. And I mean, that's pretty wild. We talk almost every day about absolutely everything. But she never fucking told me. At least not at first. I mean, just to be selfish for a second, was there any part of you that was just like, I should be telling Brett any of this? Or like, what were you afraid of with me? What was your what was your fucking thing? It wasn't that I was afraid. And of course, there were moments where I was like, I can't believe I'm doing something and Brett doesn't know it. It's like, you probably get an alert when I pee. But like, sometimes it can be really tempting to get lost in what your loved ones want for you. I would have started to worry more about that. Or I would it started would have started to be a game that the two of us would play. Or it would have it was like one of the first things I'd done in my life that was like absolutely pretty isolated and just for me. I love that people tell me their dating stories. Clearly I love it on this podcast, but I want them to wait and have it in the moment and then tell me. So it was important that I do that and that I think you and I can be such sister wives also that it's hard not to go into this feeling like you're dating as a, not just as us, but like an entire group of people. Like, if you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends and my sister. And I didn't want it to feel like that. To be real, I was pretty shocked. Like, how could you not tell me this? But I also get it. Adding in the expectations of the people who love you the most, who want you to be the happiest, it can be a lot. Plus, I'm a casting director and her older sister, 
so I would have had opinions. Over the course of a couple of weeks, Meredith was putting more time into dating than she has in several years. She works to give her matches the benefit of the doubt and has some interesting experiences along the way. There's the guy who wants to co-write a self-help book, the guy she recognizes from college, the very nice guy who wants her to know that his daughter also has the Sweet Valley High books. But all of this, it takes a lot of energy. Even in a pandemic, with more free time and fewer in-person cocktails. As fall comes to a close, she thinks about giving it up. And I remember thinking, it's getting cold and I don't want to do this anymore. I don't even want to check it anymore. I don't want to open the portal anymore. I did it. I proved that I could do it. Everyone will get off my back. Now I just want to, like, hibernate. She's ready to retreat back into her pandemic bubble. But there's still one more guy in the queue. He's funny and interesting enough, and she thinks, ah, what the hell? I can do one more. And I said to him, do you want to have a Zoom? And he was like, okay. I mean, he was like like me, like, okay, clearly it's winter in a pandemic, whatever. This guy's going to be your finale. Like, you're done after this and it's holiday time. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, I was just like, like, I wanted to clear the decks. I was just like, I just want to be done. Like, the way you are about email, where you like it at zero. I wanted inbox zero. And I felt like I wasn't at inbox zero because there was this guy who was still being funny in messages and not thinking much about it. I got on the Zoom and it was just a nice Zoom. It was just easy. Like it didn't feel like I was podcast interviewing him. It just felt like I was talking to him. And we subsequently Zoomed again. And I'm going to stop it there in terms of what happened with my dating life at this point. I've made a choice, and I made this choice with the memoir of like, first of all, who cares what I do, right? I'm much more interested in other people's stories. But if I am going to talk about myself on this podcast, in a column, in a book, I like the space of time. Take from that what you will, dear listener. For now, we'll give my sister the space of time. For Meredith, that exercise of putting herself out there, of taking risks, that journey's just beginning. Before I started the dating process, my therapist realized we were having much more productive sessions during the pandemic. We just noticed that I was talking about things that I'd never talked about before and that I was open to feelings in a way I had not been feeling before. I get so distracted by small anxieties and all there were left were big anxieties because of COVID, right? Huge ones. But my house was the same every day. My coffee was the same every day. And it left space for me to actually pay attention to the therapy I was doing. And there's a show I like called The Vampire Diaries. You may have heard of it. And the vampires talk about how their humanity switches are either on or off. For a long time, my humanity switch had been off. And it seemed to be on, right? Like I could empathize and I could do this column and I could, but for myself, it was off. And I think that probably started when my mom got sick of like, okay, like we're going to put this into a box and just start troubleshooting, right? And I never got out of that of like, better not to feel, better to just do. And... 
all of a sudden, the thing about turning you, your humanity switch back on on the Vampire Diaries is that you feel everything. You feel everything that you put into all these compartmentalized boxes. And suddenly my humanity switch was back on. My therapist believes that there's only one button. So if you turn the button off for sadness, you can't experience joy in the same way. Which is a pretty big theory, right? You can't pick. You can't be like, I'm going to feel it when it's good and I'm going to shut it out when it's bad. And I think she's right because like now with a off or an on humanity button, like the highs are higher, I guess. I think if you mute something, you mute every, everything, unfortunately. So there's no way to escape that stuff. I think that most people go on apps with some hope, whether it's for sex, dates, marriage, partnership. I literally had a big question mark. All this was was an add-on to a life I already liked. I think so often we think in absolutes, and I think in absolutes. We think in this black or white way of like, well, I don't want to get married. I don't want to live with somebody. I don't want to, you know, like all these like, th no one's asking me. <laughs> no one's asking. So this idea that I could go on and be like, oh, nothing has to happen or something can happen, but I don't even know what it is yet. Like that was what I hadn't considered. Like, what if I had a nice experience or like, what if... What if I surprise myself? Or what if somebody sees something in me that I didn't know was there? Or what if I like something I didn't think I would like? And I also just think I started following my own advice a little bit. All these wonderful things I tell people about how they can remove judgment and remove pressure on themselves. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't doing that. And I think I was, like, giving myself permission to, to do that. So you did the app. You did a couple of dates. The world is opening back up. Is the portal still open? Here's what I would say. I don't want to shut off the feelings button and just let other people live their lives and, and me tell stories. Like, I, I want to participate, too. And keeping my current status my own business, I would just say that my brain portal is open, and that is mostly because... I think all of these stories that I've heard have finally sunk in a little bit, listening to all these people who have a story and then have another one. And sometimes it's with the same person, but they like keep on going. It's, it's, it's a big influence for me. I just feel like the portal that needed to open was the portal in my heart. No, I'm kidding. But actually, I'm not totally kidding. I know that sounds stupid, but like if the portal is not the dating app and the portal is my openness to leaving the feelings button on and having company that is not just friendship and having company that isn't just family. I want the portal to be open forever. Meredith, I'm impressed. That was awesome. That was like big and vulnerable and beautiful and like fucking truthful and, um, and mazel tov. I feel really good about that. I was just going to congratulate you on barely saying bad words and then you just said fuck. So... It's all fucked up now. Damn it. You were a really I'm... good interviewer, though. You're so good. Meredith, I'm impressed you're awesome. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, talk to you soon. Ah, it's the bed 
today, I'm letting all the pain go. Giving the snarky bit the cute, that's my angle. If he ain't sweet like a peach, let the mango. It takes sunshine and rain to get the rainbow. You don't find happiness, you gotta make it. All this pressure making diamonds and nobody's gonna break it. Even though it's hard, you may seem to struggle through it all. You may see me struggle, but I bet you'll never see me fall. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop and Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith does our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGrory and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Love Letters is also an advice column. So send your love and relationship questions to my sister at loveletters at boston.com. We're online at loveletters.show. And if you want to learn a little more about me, you can find me online at brettgoldstein.com. That's B-R-E-T-T-E goldstein.com. You live in New York City. I live in New York City. Oh, God. I do. Yeah. With, with with all the rats. So many these motherfuckers, I just have to say this. They buried into like our our like our outside situation and like the whole little patio is is just dirt this morning. Yeah. Yeah, they're trying to make a home. It's their time up here. It's their time up here. Well said. Thank you. No one else will get that, but that's okay. I'm Brett Goldstein. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Bye. Talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. Talk to you later.